0: If you have your Bibles, you can go to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. Thank you, Lord. Tonight we're going to start a series called Life Together. And I want to take a look at, over the next few weeks, how we cultivate community in our church. We've said... Multiple times over the past couple of weeks as we've started the year that our emphasis this year is on what? Discipleship and leadership development through what? Small groups. through our care groups. Let's, let's try that again because you all scare me there. I've, I've said this a million times and, and I wasn't quite comfortable that everybody got that. So our emphasis this year is on discipleship and leadership development through our care groups are small groups and and so our, our care groups the reason we call them care groups just everybody understands care it is what the name implies it is a place to care for one another and so that's why we've called them care groups. That's our small groups. Let me give you 10 reasons why you ought to sign up for a care group. And uh, I might have some cheesy things like this every once in a while. Just bear with me. Just laugh at me and, and make me feel better about my jokes. But um, even if you don't think they're funny, it just it builds my self-esteem. Top, top 10 reasons. One, it's one less night of the week that you do not have anything planned. So in case you need help filling in uh, on your schedule, because I know everybody has openings on their schedule, right, these days. So we can fill in. There's nothing new on TV anyway, number nine. You might as well join a care group. Number eight, it's another good reason to eat. You can get together and, you know, whatever it is that you eat, you can do that. Number seven... Where else can you go to get free child care, right? (laughs) That's a good one. I like that. Where else can you go to get free child care? Number six, 50% of engaged couples that attend a care group actually get married. That's another one that will sink in when you get home. (laughs) 50% of engaged couples actually get married. Anyway, you get to check out someone else's home. That's another good reason. Number... (laughs) Number four, Pastor Zach has a money-back guarantee. I, I, I will. I will give you your money back if you go to a small group. I will actually give you your money back if you're not guaranteed, if you're not satisfied. Number three, did I mention that you get to eat and hang out with people? That's a great reason. Number two, you get to add new friends to Facebook. You get to meet new people. And, and I was looking today, my friend count, I think, is up over 2,000 now. I was pretty excited about that. <laughs> Number one, you won't get any more emails reminding you to sign up for a care group. (laughs) That's a good one, too. So anyway, I would encourage you to get signed up for a small group. Uh, February 28th, in case you're wanting to know, is our I Love My Church party, which will have more information coming about. You can tell those in the room that know about I Love My Church. That's what we talked about at our A-team lunch on Sunday. But uh, February 28th is I Love My Church party, and we're going to celebrate and give you an opportunity to get uh, signed up for a small group. There is on the copier things that everybody will want to get. I just realized that. I've been running around all... Before service, doing a million different things. And I looked down at my notes and thought, you know what? We have copies of these notes for everybody tonight that's sitting on the copier, and I didn't even get them. Um, they'll be here momentarily. Anyway, uh, I'm going to, over the next couple of weeks, share some messages regarding uh, and, and teaching on developing community in our church and what that looks like. And each week, I'm going to take time to give you some ideas and some thoughts about small group ministry I don't my sermons aren't necessarily about small groups It's about community in general but I want to give to you some of the practical things about small group ministry and begin to create if you will in our church a culture and an understanding of small group ministry a lot of uh, I know that celebration prior to us coming had small groups years ago and, and they've done different things throughout the years. But small groups really become the, the core backbone of, and, and ministry emphasis of our church. Everything that we do in our ministry and in our leadership structure is really structured around the small group system. If you'll think for a second, I was sharing this with our men before service, but if you'll think just for a moment about a person's body, Uh, You know, if I go up to my wife and I see my wife, there's many different systems that operate within her body that keep her functioning and keep her healthy. If one of those systems is unhealthy, then she becomes unhealthy, right? I, I don't walk up to my wife, though, and say, honey, I love your skeletal system. It's the best skeletal system I've ever seen. I love it. No, of course we don't do that. But her skeletal system is one of the many systems that Helps her function, right? It keeps her upright. And small groups is, is just like that. There are many systems uh, within our church that keep our church healthy, but small groups is the core. It's one of the main systems that provides life and, and flow within our church. Great example of small groups and effective small groups within our church is Night of Hope. I, I really, you know, Night of Hope has really got a great set up uh, organizationally and small group ministry-wise Night of Hope guests walk in and they see Night of Hope at large. They don't see all of the fifteen, sixteen different areas of ministry that are making Night of Hope operate you know Heather and I are the executive directors and then we have Mandy who's the director and underneath her there's a team of 15 or so area leaders that are all responsible for different things and those area leaders are responsible for calling and training and following up on their volunteers making sure the night happens and all of those great things and so it's it's a great example of small groups within one with one one night of ministry we have all of these things that are functioning together to create a healthy Ministry, Small groups is the same way. It becomes the core that creates a healthy ministry. Does that make sense? So I want to give you on the page that says the big idea about small groups, I want to give you some ideas and some thoughts regarding small groups over the next few weeks. Like I said, I'll break this down and actually preach because I don't want to just talk about small groups all night. But I want to give you some, some practical things as well. Number one, think from outside in, not from inside out and and here's what i mean by that our our job within the small group ministry is to provide a place where people who are coming into the church, are people who are going to come into the church, have an opportunity to be discipled and cared for. And so that's small group ministry. Acts chapter 2 verse 46 through 47 says so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. As a church, we're going to grow larger, but at the same time, we have to get smaller. How do we do that? Through small group ministry. Notice the believers continued daily in what? They, they continued daily in meeting where? In the temple and in home groups and households. They met daily together. Now, I realize in our culture today that, that we have our schedules, we have our families. You know, it's hard enough. Sometimes you get people to come to church. I've got this that my kids are doing or I got that or I got this. But there was priority that was placed and paramount priority was placed on the house of God and discipleship. That came first and everything family, everything else that happened in a person's life was second. And they met together daily. I I value my times together, you know, we meet on Sundays in our church. I love our large gathering meetings. Sunday, Sunday morning is our church service. We have a great Sunday morning service. With, you know, the presence of God and, and God touching people, changing people. People are getting healed and delivered. All of these awesome things. But what happens during the week when they leave Sunday morning service? What happens after we have 400 guests come through our doors last year? What happens to all of them? That's, that's what happened. That's, we had 400 Guests come through our doors last year in 2015. Where are they all at? What happens to them? And so services become the front door, if you will. Our services are the front door where people walk through the door, but small groups help to close the back door. That's on your notes. Small groups help to close the back door. They come in through the front door, and we close in the back door through small group ministry. How does that happen? Well, someone comes in the first time if they're a guest to our church, which we have guests this evening, and we welcome you. We're glad that you're here, and uh, we actually have a gift for you before you leave this evening, so make sure you get your free gift. But when they come in as a guest to the church, our, our job, small group leader's job, is to immediately to help them find their place and get connected in the church. Now, let me tell you a funny story. Some of you have probably heard me tell this story, but I met... And got well. I didn't meet, but I got to know my wife at a Care group. small group. Yep. And uh, yeah, I'd met Heather at Victory. I started going to church there. I met her, and what she do? She invited me to her small group. She wanted me. She she was already interested in me. She wanted to get to know me. <laughs> I'm not lying. She wanted to get to know me. And so she she invited me to her small group, which was a bunch of ladies. (laughs) It was a co-ed group. And so I got, I got to know Heather there, but it was funny because there was another guy in the church that he just kept calling and kept calling. I mean, he wanted me to come to a small group, and he called me. If he called me once a week, he called me five times a week. You want to come to my small group? No, buddy. I'm going to Heather's small group. I want to get to know Heather. I want to know Pastor Heather. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> anyway... So we got married, (laughs) right? 50% of engaged couples get married. (laughs) So anyway, I, you know, small groups become the place where you get to connect with these new folks and they can begin to get to know people and who knows, they might get married while they're at it. So our our job is to help close that back door through small group ministry. If you notice the diagram there on, on your notes, core congregation committed crowd of that that diagram thank you that's awesome it's on the screen So, obviously, those of you that are here tonight are probably the core. You're the the folks that are committed or core. You're here. But the question is, how do we get people from the community, how do we move them along this process? How do we get them to come in our front door, come into our living room, sit down with us in our living room, and enjoy some fellowship together? Here in this, this is our front door, after all, right? They're coming in through our service, our front door. How do we then get them into our living room where we can sit down and have fellowship? with them that's small group ministry so that's why it's so important that we have healthy small groups. so we want to help you develop a healthy small group if you're interested in leading a group hosting a group any of those things we want to help you do that and we have resources for that we're not just starting groups and saying you're on your own and uh, (laughs) we're gonna help you with that and matter of fact Rick is is helping us as our care group director if you have any questions you can see him you can see your section pastor, and we'll help you uh, figure all that out and help you get in a group or start a group, whatever the case might be. But 1 Thessalonians, I, w- I want to take a look tonight. Paul used these terms with the, with the Thessalonians. He said that he was sharing his soul with them. And I want to take a look at, in the context of cultivating community, how we share our souls with one another, how we share our lives with one another. My, my hope tonight is not necessarily to, to tell you why you need to get into a small group to get something. My hope tonight is that I can encourage you to believe in and to participate in small group ministry, which is the discipleship element. It's the discipleship arm we talked about. It's where shepherding and discipleship takes place. My hope is that I can encourage you to get involved in those things uh, in a small group, not for the sake of just to get something, although we all know that we need to receive something in small groups. All of us can humble ourselves and say, I need to be refreshed. I need, I need to be imparted into. I need someone to encourage me. You know, some of my best best times as a Christian I can look back to small group ministry it 's where I learned how to how to lead it 's where I learned how to encourage people it 's where I learned how to flow in spiritual gifts it 's where I learned all of these things how to pastor how to pray all of these things took place in the context of small group ministry and so yes there's a there's a place where we 're getting something but I, I want to take another spin on small groups and getting involved tonight, and take a look at getting involved in small group ministry because you have a calling to give something. Each one of us are called to give. When you became a Christian, Jesus said that you are a fountain out of your belly shall flow what rivers of living water john chapter 7 out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water jesus said if whoever drinks of the water that i will give will never thirst again but it will well up within him into springs of living water so you are a fountain from day one When you prayed and said, Lord, I need you to be my Savior. I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. You you became a fountain of living water. Now, you may have not reached your Mississippi-level river yet, and you might not be completely overflowing in a mighty Mississippi. You might not be who you're called to be long term, but you're on your way there. It starts somewhere, but you've got to begin to give. You weren't ever called to just receive and to never pour out. What happens if a fountain gets, gets dammed up or blocked up uh, or stopped up? It's a well, becomes stopped up. It, it dies. It becomes dead water. Becomes the dead sea. And so you and I have to pour out. We have to give. It's what you and I are called to do. So I want to encourage you to begin to give in the, in, the, in the gifts and the calling that God's placed on your life within the context of small group ministry. Small group ministry becomes a safe place for you to begin to pour out and to give to those around you. As pastors, we're called... To equip the saints for what? Ephesians says, the pastors are called to equip the saints. Y'all don't know what pastors are called to do? There we go. We're called to equip the saints. Re- read your Bible. Ephesians four, eleven, 11, 12. The, the pastors, so that they might be brought so that you might come into full maturity, not tossed by every wind of doctrine. Our job as pastors is to help you mature as believers and become equipped. And so how we do that as pastors is through this small group ministry. It's New Testament. And so what we do is we begin to call and and lay hands on and, and designate and delegate authority to small group leaders who become an extension of the pastoral ministry. Small group leaders are an extension of the pastoral ministry, that's what Paul was saying in Ephesians chapter 4 when he said that, that the, the pastors are going to equip what he's saying. When they do the work of the ministry, the, the translations there is when they do, when they engage, when the people, the believers, engage in the work of the ministry, they are the ministry of the pastor. And so our job is to equip you, equip leaders, to go out and to do the work of the ministry, to become an extension of our pastoral ministry. And the reason that that works so wonderfully is because, one, we can't do it all ourselves, but two, uh, better for the people in the congregation, is that there is someone discipling them who knows them best. And so my job is, as a pastor is to disciple and equip leaders who will disciple and equip others. Does make sense? And so that's the power of small group ministry. And so you have a calling, you have a calling from God to give what God's giving you. Within our network of small groups that we're developing, we've talked about the extension of, of pastoral ministry, but one of the things that I find encouraging as a pastor, that when I see this happening in small groups, there's two things when I see this happening within the small group ministry that really encourage me. And number one is this. When there's a new believer that gets discipled in a small group, man, that that will uh, ignite a small group. If you can get a new believer in your small group, if you feel your small group's dying out or people just get get cold and and lax in their Christianity. Get a new believer in there and let those mama and daddies begin to nurture that new baby and all of a sudden new life comes to that group. It's awesome. I love seeing that. The second thing that that really encourages me within small group ministry is to see the care group begin to care for those who are in crisis. Pastor Bill brought up a great example tonight with Bob uh, McGee. That's a great example of that When, when Bob is going through a difficult season, those who around him in his group can begin to reach out to him and minister to him. They can go over to his house and put railings and such in to help. And by the way, great report, great testimony uh, with Bob that came through yesterday or today that he actually didn't have a stroke. When he fell, he hit his head, had nerve damage, and the medicine that he put the doctors put him on actually caused some of the problems he was having with paralysis. So they're taking him off the medicine and told him, take vitamin B6, you'll be fine. (laughs) so that's pretty awesome so concerning the Thessalonians if you have your Bible we're going to read this and uh, I just want to take a look at what Paul says regarding community and how we cultivate community in our church based on what Paul has said here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 in verse 1 it says for you yourselves know brethren That our coming to you was not in vain, but even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to, to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. For as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who tests our heart. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness. God is a witness. Nor did we see glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children so affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. That's a great, that's a great line to under, underline in your Bible. We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. The word souls is some translations in the Greek there, souls, because you had become dear to us, for you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, we preach to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we, have, we behaved ourselves among you who believe, as you know how we have exhorted and comforted. And charged every one of you, as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and his glory. I want to take a look at what Paul says here. Paul comes to the Thessalonians and he says, regarding the attacks that's coming against him, basically he's he has folks that are attacking him and saying, uh, not his doctrine, but his character saying that he was a man of ill character. That he came trying to steal or to take money from the Thessalonians. And Paul's writing to them saying, this is, this is not the case. You remember. Six times he says in this paragraph, you remember. You were witnesses. You were there. Remember? And so he's reminding them of their experience with him. And it's not based on his doctrine or the things that he taught, but it's based on the life that he sowed with them. How many times can we go back to those relationships in our lives where the people that we were with, that we have these meaningful relationships with, and we can think back to what they imparted. We, don't, we may not remember everything that they taught us doctrinally. We may not remember every specific sermon that a particular preacher preached, but we remember the life that they lived. Lived among us. And that's what Paul's illustrating for us here that he was giving his own life. He was giving his soul for them. He was laying out everything before them. In other words, he was communicating with them, he was putting before them his desires, his weaknesses, his strengths. His, the things that he wanted to see accomplished that, was, that wasn't being accomplished. His meditations and the thoughts of his heart. All of these things he was laying out before the Thessalonians. In other words, he didn't have anything to hide in front of them. He completely laid his life before them. Seven things that Paul gave of himself to the Thessalonians. I think that we can learn in the context of community. These things that we can learn in our own lives. Paul... Number one, Paul took a risk in sharing himself and the gospel at Thessalonica. Verse two, we see, but even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. Well, do you remember what happened in Philippi when Paul and Silas went to Philippi? You can find the story in Acts 16. But Paul and Silas went into Philippi and as they're there, There was this slave girl that came and began to prophesy over them. These are the men of the Most High God. And she followed them everywhere that they went. You know, she had the right message, the wrong spirit. She's going everywhere. These are the Most High. And what did Paul do? He got annoyed by by her proclamations. And he turned and discerning that this was an evil spirit, cast the devil out of her, cast the tormenting spirit out of her. Well, that didn't go too well for for them because all of a sudden this slave girl who was making money for her masters all of a sudden has no power and has no insight. And so they come and they they drag Paul and Silas out in front of everybody. You remember the story. They beat them. They imprison them. And at about midnight, Silas and Paul start singing a hymn and the, the prison shakes loose. The chains fall off of them. The jailer goes to kill himself, and the jailer and his, home, his whole family get born again as a result of that. And so that was Philippi. Well, if you continue reading in, in, uh, Acts, and you skip over to Acts 17, all of a sudden they come to Thessalonica, which is where Paul is writing to. And this is what it says about what their experience was in Thessalonica. They come into Thessalonica, and the, the people got angry that they were there. And a mob got together, incited the city. They go to Jason's house where Paul and Silas were at. They go to Jason's house. They pull out Jason out of his home, drag him into the middle of town, and they begin to make a scene about Paul and Silas. And what was the famous statement? The men that have turned the world upside down have come here also. That was Thessalonica. And so that's who Paul's writing to. He's saying, look, we took a risk in even preaching the gospel to you. We took a risk even coming here. And can I say to you that you are going to take a risk by developing relationship with others. You're going to take a risk at sharing your soul, bearing your life with one another. It's going to be risky business. (laughs) You're going to tell someone something and they're going to let you down. You're going to say something to someone and they're going to, they're going to say it to someone else you didn't want them to say it to and all these things. It's risky to begin to share your life with someone else. But the risk, the risk is nothing compared to the reward. The reward always will outweigh the risk. If you'll just begin to share your life, if you'll begin to give your life away that someone else could be discipled, that someone else can be encouraged, that someone else can be built up in their faith, if you'll just begin to share what God's given you, the the reward of sowing into someone else's life far outweighs the risk. Amen? Secondly, he did not mislead them. He did not mislead them, he did not get sexually involved with anyone, and he did not try to deceive them in any way. That's what verse 3 says. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians in verse 3 of chapter 2, and he said, For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. That word uncleanness there is the word that Paul uses uh, many times to describe sexual sin. He says that we didn't get into any, any sexual sin or lust with anyone. We stayed pure, we kept clean the modern teaching of, of that day was the philosophy that the highest good in life was to pursue pleasure. And what Paul was teaching, and of course, that type of teaching is going to lead you to what? A sinful lifestyle compromise? But, but Paul came and he taught holiness. He taught pursuit of pleasure in God, which was totally different. The pursuit of Finding your pleasure in God, not in worldly things. And so, as he taught this message, it led people to a life of holiness. It led them to a life of surrender and yieldedness to God. Instead of the modern teaching that they were facing that day. Sounds familiar. Sounds like the day and age in which we live that, that the, the, the teaching of the hour is that fulfill your greatest pleasure, your lust, whatever it is. And, and that's not the message of the kingdom. And so we don't mislead others. Paul said we don't mislead them. We don't, we don't lead them in deception. Number three, Paul said he did not try to please men, but God. Verse four, he says, but as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. Man-pleasing makes people phony. People who are trying to please man do so because they have great insecurities. And they, they show you the angles of their lives they want you to see in order for you to approve of them. If you find that that's you, let me encourage you, relax and just be who you are. Find yourself lost in Jesus and then all of a sudden those insecurities and those things don't seem to matter anymore. All of a sudden you look around and instead of seeing your insecurities and your hurts and your failures and all your ugliness, you look around and you say, you know what? Everybody else has got issues too. All of a sudden you can begin to open up and share your life with someone else because it's no longer about your issues and you're this and you're that because all of a sudden you realize everybody else has it too everybody else has a problem too. Everybody else has an issue too, but we just surrender to the Lord and say, God, change me, transform me, make me more into your image. My job is not to please men, but to please you. The Greek there is that they preached the word with truth and sincerity. They weren't out to gain others' approval. Number four, Paul did not flatter or position himself for money. Verse five says, for neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness. God is witness. The word flattery is, means to use language, not for the sake of truth, but manipulation. It's to conceal the truth for gain. In other words, they were accusing Paul of telling people what they wanted to hear in order to get their money. Sound familiar? Jesus said in the last days that people will pull. Actually, this is what, I'm sorry, Jesus said it. Jesus is the word. I'm quoting Paul. But Paul told Timothy that they will heed, they will pull to themselves people who will teach what they want to hear, people that are teaching and will tickle their ears and will appease what they want to hear for the sake of their self-improvement or whatever the case is, And Paul's saying, that's not what we did. That's not who we are. That's not what we did. We didn't butter them up to get their money. Matter of fact, in verse 9, he says, For you remember, brethren, our labor and our toil, for laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. In other words, from sunrise to sunset, guess what we were doing? We were preaching the gospel. We were telling you the truth of the gospel that Jesus came to save, to heal, to deliver. He still baptizes in the Holy Spirit. Have you received since you believe? That was their message. That was their message. Number five, Paul put aside his position of power and let himself feel tender affection for the Thessalonians and open his heart to them. You know, this this is hard to do. When you're in a position of authority, it's hard to lay aside your authority, your power, your title, and allow yourself to feel affection for someone especially if you've been around the block, as they say, a few times, and your heart's been stomped on a few times. But isn't that what ministry is all about? Isn't that what being called to give your life away is all about? Is that every day we give our heart away, and we don't know how it's going to return, but we still give it no matter what. We give it away. We give give our affections. We have God affect our heart and our emotions for those who are around us. In verses 6 through 8, In chapter two, it says, nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become so dear to us. This mothering, nurturing affection, what Paul's talking about here is even as a mother nurtures a nursing baby. That's what we're called to, to give our lives, to give affection, to nurture those who are around us, to those God has called us to. Begin to show compassion. Remember Jesus after feeding the multitudes. He looks around at the multitudes and the Bible says that he was moved with compassion. And that word there in the Greek means that his bowels, his innermost being was turned, was turned upside down for the people why? Because he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. And even so, may God affect our heart and our emotions, our affections for those that are around us that we would be moved with compassion. Instead of sitting in judgment when someone comes into the church that may look different, smell different, or act different than we do, instead of making a quick judgment call towards them, we are moved with compassion and say, hey, you know what? I have a group that meets, and I'd love for you to be in my group. I'd love to get to know you more. Would you come? You know, sometimes we were talking about this um, in the men's group, but sometimes there are people as a leader that you're going to go up to, and you're going to have to say, Come follow, just like Jesus did. Some sometimes people are just waiting for you to come to them and say, "Would you come follow me?" I look for those people, and you know, every it seems like every every so often God will place one of those come follow people in my life, and I'm always looking for those people. And uh, one one in particular, uh, not that long ago, actually, God placed in my life not really by choice. God put the person there, and they became, all of a sudden, they were assigned to be, it wasn't asked, it was assigned to be my worship leader for for youth and young adults, or basically any service that I was going to be at, this person was going to be my worship leader. Well, background on this person, they were 18, 19 years old, had a chip on their shoulder, had been asked to play in Nashville numerous times was high quality musician and and singer could could be with any of the who's who country musical world as and had the oppor- has had numerous opportunities still gets opportunities and and so I had I got the privilege of dealing with the chip on the shoulder professional musician and all of that that came with it young teenager young adult and so he comes into my service, he's in my services doing worship and, and such, and end ends up making the comment, I don't understand the anointing, and I think, I think it's just a show, you're putting on a show, and just starts going on and on and on and starts spreading things and so on about how I, I'm orchestrating a show or whatever, I don't even, at this point I don't remember the exact terms. It was so funny because I thought, you really do not know me, do you? And so, you know, eventually there, there was this group that he was influential with, with musicians. And so I went to this group, the small group of the musicians who he had influenced. And I just, I just shared my soul. I did what Paul was talking about. I shared my soul. And uh, told him my story, my call to ministry, everything. I just laid it out. And I said, you know, if anybody would think that this was a show, let me tell you this. I said I hate public speaking first off. I hate public speaking. When I get up in front of people, I get so nervous. I usually have to take Tums before I get up and speak in front of people because I get so nervous. I hate I hate public speaking. I hate being around people. I just put it all out. I hate and I still do. I hate being around people. I'm not a people person. I'm not a people person, I hate chit-chat, I'm not good at chit-chat, I'm not good at socializing. If and my, my wife, I know, she's like, what are you talking about? I don't hate people, you know, you get the idea. <laughs> I'm not a social person, I'm not, I don't like to be out, in the, you know, it just drives me crazy. And I said, if I had a plan for anything to even remotely be a show, the minute I'd step up in front of... You know people that plan would go out the window i wouldn 't even remember what I had planned on doing. I get so nervous so, so i don 't even know why would you would even think that so all of a sudden, the things began to click, and he began to realize wow this i 'm beginning to see the pastor 's act behind the person that 's in the pulpit, and he, we began to develop a relationship, and so that that relationship still. I mean, we have a great relationship, and it developed into a relationship where he would we'd sit and he'd meet, and I would disciple him through life, and I hope I didn't offend you, and, and disciple him through life, and, and we would go, you know, we just go through life together, go through ministry together, and you know, he's getting married in June. He's like, hey, can you come be in my wedding? And all so. I look, there are these people, the, and just recently someone, God just put someone else in my life that's getting ready to do the same thing in, in a couple of weeks. But, but God will place these people that I'll go after and just say, come follow. Sometimes there's going to be people in your life you just have to say, come follow. And it may be a little rough and a little rocky at first, but just begin to share your soul. Just begin to share your life with them and see what God does. I think we're on number six. Paul was holy and righteous and blameless among them. Verse 10, he said, You are witnesses, and God also. How devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. In other words, he was living a holy life. He was living reverently. He was walking right before God. He was living righteously. That word there in the Greek is that he lived uprightly with others. He did no others wrong. And blameless, meaning that regarding his life before God and men, there was no blame. No one could charge him with anything. He honored God and all that he did. He treated others well. In verse 7, or number 7 excuse me, Paul became like a father to them and encouraged them to leave a glorious legacy. Verse 11 through 12 says, As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as, fa- as a father does his own children that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and his glory. Paul's ministry, his legacy that he left with them and encouraged them to leave with others was not a memory of himself. It was living a God-centered life. Each of us are called to do the same. If all you're doing is imparting a memory and a, and a good time with someone, you've messed up. You've failed as a leader. Our job is to encourage others to live a God-centered life. It's more than just having a good time. It's more than just checking the checkbox. We want to encourage people to fall in love with the Lord, fall in love with His Word, fall in love with Him, and live a life and leave a legacy that's God-centered. Seven ways that you can do this in your life. Seven ways that you can give yourself away. One, take a risk of sharing your soul. Just step out there. Just try it. But you don't know what they did to me. You're right, I don't. (laughs) And someone will probably do it again. But take the risk. God will heal your heart. God will vindicate you. God will minister life to you. Just begin to give away. You're not called as a Christian to store up. You're called to give out. Amen. Number two, put away all deceit and manipulation. As leaders or potential leaders, we don't manipulate people by our words. We don't manipulate others. We tell them the truth. We love them. We don't flatter them. We speak life. We speak the truth in love. Number three, renounce man pleasing, <laughs> be yourself. I often tell interns and leaders who are close to us this this statement. If I have a problem with something that you did, I'll come tell you. Otherwise, do what you're called to do. Don't worry about what I think or whether or not you get a passing grade from me. I'm not, I'm not sitting, Heather and I were joking about this this week. Heather and I are not sitting by, uh, well, they get an A for social interaction this week. They get an F for doing their job duties this week. No, that's not what we're doing. We're not doing that with people in the church. We're not doing it with our staff. We're not doing it with our leaders. We're surely not doing it with you. Our job is not to sit around as leaders and grade everybody. Our job is to equip you to minister and to give you the freedom and the opportunity to do so. Amen. Hallelujah. (laughs) Number four, be done with flattery and coveting. You know, it's easy to compare yourself to what someone else is doing or what someone else has right? So stop doing that. It's not worth it. Don't compare your group and the success of your group to the success of someone else's group or your ministry, vice versa, or how you do or what you do. If we did that, we would just all be running around in a a tailspin and never accomplish anything. So don't compare. Don't covet. Do what God's called you to do. Give away. Number five, have tender compassion for people. Allow God to affect your heart as the Holy Spirit does in his mothering, nurturing way, do so, allow God to allow you to minister in that way also. Number six, be holy, righteous, and blameless in your conduct. Don't be given in to compromise. We were, we've been told of groups before in the past, not here, in the past, groups that would have Beer and poker and cigar nights. <laughs> come, come study the Word of God. Smoke your cigar, drink your beer, and play poker with us. Don't compromise. It's not worth it. got quiet in here. Number seven, because I know nobody in here drinks their beer, smokes their cigars, or plays poker. Number seven, or goes with women that do, or whatever this saying goes. <laughs> Uh, smoke or chew or go with women that do. It's a bad image. Number seven: encourage others to lead a God-centered legacy. You might be here this evening and you say, "You know what? I hear what you're saying, Pastor Zach, but I really don't have anything to give to anybody else." I, I, don't, I don't feel equipped. I don't feel qualified. I don't feel like I have anything to give. And let me, let me just tell you in love that you're sadly mistaken. <laughs> Think about all that God's given to you. Think about the, the generous salvation that he has lavishly poured out on your life. Think about the gift of the Holy Spirit that he's poured out on you. Think about his word that he's given you. Think about your testimony, what you've been through and all that God's done for you. Think about the power of the blood and what the blood's done for you. Think about, think about what God's done. Maybe, maybe you've only been born again for a week. Think about what God's done for you. I think you have something to give. I think you have something to give. And so I want to encourage you to, to embark on the journey with us and to begin to fulfill your calling of giving your life away. It's the most rewarding, the most joyous thing you'll ever do. All of a sudden, you'll find your joy strengthened. You'll find this path of joy that you're on lengthened. All of a sudden, the joy of the Lord will bubble and overflow in your life as you give your life away. Why? If we just think back for a moment, what did, what did Paul say in Acts? Quoting the words of Jesus, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Amen. Lord, I just thank you for our church and what you're doing in our body. I thank you, Lord, that we have the opportunity to disciple, to love on, to, to nurture relationships within our congregation, Lord, within our community. Help us, Father, to make the most of every opportunity and helping people move from community into the core, to move from the community into the committed part of our church. And we just thank you, Father, for this and all that you're doing. Bless your people tonight. I pray for your blessing on them as they go home, for your safety, Lord, for your blessing on their households, Lord, for salvation, Lord, for your uh, prosperity, Lord, to come to every home. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for coming. Have a great evening. Don't forget Sunday. We're going to have a great service.